Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And it's been a while since we've done this. Uh, we've had some stuff going on. There's been a holiday. There's been other... Just general busyness. Events. Um, so, I'm glad that we're back together and that we're able to do this again. And so, welcome to our wonderful listeners. Welcome to those who aren't wonderful as well. And um guess we're going to jump in straight into the Bible. Yeah. We're talking about hunting today. Yes. To uh, give a spoiler. but uh, Hunting, general meat procurement. Yeah, but there, there are certainly elements of, I don't want to say hunting, but certainly the, the sacrifice and processing of animals is something that we read about in Scripture, and sometimes we cringe or look past those things, but we're going to look at those things today and, and talk about what do we do about the meat that we eat. Which rhymes, so that's fun. One of the readings today is from Malachi, and it is Malachi 3, 1 through 4. And when I read it, you, the listener, are going to, say, are going to think to yourself, oh, what in the world has this got to do with the intro there? But bear with us. Malachi 3, 1 through 4 says, See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. So there's a lot here. There's a lot of stuff that generally should trigger some questions in the reader's mind, especially since we don't live in the age in which this was written. Uh, a couple things, just basic things at the outset, is kind of in the middle, you hear them talking about the descendants of Levi. Yeah, who are the descendants of Levi? That what? would be the Levites. Got it. And they typically were in charge of the religious stuff. Um, the you know How do you practice religion? Who's in charge of what happens? And that is in, this is all from verse 3. They were the priests. They were, but... Yes, they were, the priestly group. Verse 3 is kind of, I don't want to say mean to them, but it does call them out. What? Read it again. He what? will set, sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. So the Levites needed purifying. Mm. And so the question then becomes, from what? And so you start thinking about religious systems, what could be wrong with them, and it suddenly seems to take on a new light because as we sit here and think about the church today who are our levites and why do they need to be purified yeah and and to be fair like we're going to take this and we're going to take a turn and look rather than looking at the context that we usually do of the original scripture uh we're going to take a look at who we're going to use the levites as a What's the word? Jumping off point? Jumping off point, yeah, for talking about those who participate in processing of animals. 
the practice of, of killing animals today in our culture, um, even though there was much more to the priesthood than that, uh, that's kind of like where we, where, where this conversation is going to touch with the scripture today. And, and the question to me that arises is uh, when it talks about um, an offering from Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former day, as in former years. Verse 4. My question is, what makes an offering pleasing to the Lord? And we're talking about animal sacrifice here in this context. And if we read further, and I do encourage folks to read further, especially just read that fifth verse of, of Malachi chapter 3, and you'll understand why Levites' sacrifices might not have been pleasing, and it has much more to do with the way that they were living and treating the the vulnerable and the oppressed in society. Uh, but we want to talk about today the actual sacrifice itself, the 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 animal that's involved in that practice of sacrifice, and whether the way that we uh, process sacrifice kill meat today is is a honorable way of doing things. It's a good question. I think to start that conversation, we need to think about what ritualistic slaughter of animals would look like. And to do that, I want to, I don't know, verbally remember a lesson that I got in seminary. And so we're in New Testament 101, and we're talking about the temple. And the professor said, okay, what do you think the temple looks like? And everyone's like, oh, it's a beautiful church. And people are like, oh, it must look like the most beautiful Catholic cathedral you can imagine. And then the professor says, well, you're all wrong. And I also want to point out that I didn't venture a guess, so I couldn't be wrong, but I probably would have been. <laughs> and he says, stop picturing churches and start picture, picturing slaughterhouses because you have all these animals there and it smells like animal smells and you hear animal sounds and then things get slaughtered. And right. so and the blood flows out of the temple. And yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. And think about these pools. They're probably clouded with blood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's a pretty nasty thing. And so we, we tend to whitewash our religion. And I think we do a disservice because we don't get the whole picture. But I, I've, I've diverted. Well, let, let us, uh, so we're going to get back to that kind of question. I hope that's piqued your interest, oh listener. Uh, but I wanted to provide some context for why we wanted to talk about this today. Courtney and I uh, went hunting, and specifically, I went hunting for the first time. Ever. Ever. Yeah. I didn't grow up in a hunting family, mostly uh, raised by my mom. She was not that much of a fan of hunting. Yeah. Uh, I learned to not be excited about it or interested in it at all. I didn't even know where to start if I was going to. Um, in fact, for much of my recent life, I've um, tried to hold to a, a vegan diet. Yeah. Um, and if, if I, and at some point, I'm probably sure I shared that with Court, and I don't know if I really explained my reasons why. I didn't ask. Yeah, yeah but and, and there's, there's so many different reasons why people may hold to a vegan diet. But uh, I don't know, was it surprising to you that I wanted to go hunting I was with you? I shocked. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of, 
I kind of badgered him because it's something that I love doing and I love for people to love the things that I love and I don't think that's strange. But I, I kind of thought, you know, he loves the outdoors. He likes hiking. Um, he likes foraging for mushrooms. This is just that with, you know, I guess more sentientness to it. I don't know how sentient mushrooms are. But I, I thought it would be something that would appeal to you and it was just an opportunity to invite you into my world a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, it really did uh, pique my interest. I think generally I, I'm a person that likes to learn new skills, specifically sort of woodsman-type outdoor skills. Um, and and yet I'm not someone who just uh, goes out and, and seeks that kind of stuff out. But if it comes if it comes up, if I meet people who can help me learn, I'm, I'm curious. So getting back to the original line of questioning here you mentioned uh you asked me was i surprised that you took me up on that and i was but i was even more surprised that you didn't just say yeah i'll go and then that was the last we heard of it but instead we actually ended up going Mm -hmm. and so i was you know thrilled but very surprised that you know the date came and we met up and we did the thing yeah, and so I, I was it, pleasantly surprised. And after this experience, I wouldn't consider myself a hunter, or I, I wouldn't consider this like a metamorphosis into yeah. Peter becoming a hunter. Certainly, I guess I can own that title now that I've killed the deer. Uh, Spoiler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it happened. Yeah. Um, but uh, but to me, it's just sort of an expansion of being um, of a of a skill set that that includes identifying wildflowers and mm-hmm. trees, um, foraging for uh, huckleberries and uh, wild mushrooms. I just ate, uh, uh, we just harvested our first lion's mane over Thanksgiving break. It's a, it's a mushroom that grows high up in an oak tree and it's supposed to be good for your brain. And, and I think God has put me on this path of trying to learn my, or learn and get to know not not only my human but my non-human neighbors too and uh and the and the deer are another one of those non-human neighbors what i'm what i'm hearing in your buried in your words is this i don't know call towards the primal Hmm. and i think we all have that Mm -hmm. and sadly we as a society have lost touch with a, a deep part of what makes us human, mm. and that is our primal nature. Mm. And I think we've, we've shielded ourselves from it so much that we look at things that used to be uh, blessings from God, if you think about even back to the garden. Uh, you think about things that used to be a part of life, like you said, our non-human na- neighbors, and now we for whatever see them as disgusting or or invasive when really we're the ones that are invasive Mm -hmm. Um, we have claimed dominion over the natural world to a point that we've almost eradicated it and i think in us there's this there's this yearning to to reconnect with it yeah that's what i get out of hunting that's what i used to get out of it and and, i mean i i I haven't i don't share this often but like one of my one of, what, one of the things that has compelled me towards rural ministry to begin with, I didn't even think I was going to be 
a pastor, I felt a calling to serve in a rural community because I felt that there was something deeply wrong with the way that, um, specifically in this country, we have lost, uh, or at least in the way that I grew up, we have lost that connection with the land. Mm -hmm. And we have lost that connection with um, what our responsibility is to the creatures and to the creation around us. And to me, the the people most in tune with that are farmers. But even even farmers in this country have been co-opted in, in some ways by large corporations to mm-hmm. do, to looking at the the plants and the animals they raise as just uh, sort of financial units. Where are the prices determined? Yeah, the commodity market. Right. Everything that we eat or consume or use is a commodity and that's the way we've started viewing everything and that's sad because mm-hmm. I don't know you can think I've never gone out into the woods with a gun and taken a life but if we take the if we reduce everything to a commodity then by going to the supermarket aren't we taking away the life of these things yeah Wendell Berry would say that we're all farmers and and I would say we're also all um Ranchers. Ranchers vicariously. Yeah. You know, we, with our purchases, we choose a certain kind of uh, practice when it comes to um, cultivating crops and sacrificing animals. And, and I'm using that word sacrificing intentionally mm-hmm. because really, uh, when we kill an animal, no matter how we do it, it is a sacrifice to something or another. And, Court, you've raised the, the, the point that oftentimes the, the way most people see deer get sacrificed, it's on the side of the road. Well, what's, yeah. what's that a sacrifice to? It's, it's to convenience. Travel, yeah. Uh, and, and so many animals in this country are sacrificed to convenience. Yeah, and when we were talking about it earlier, you mentioned roads and I mentioned deforestation. Mm. And both are ways that we, we do indeed sacrifice let me give some backstory to our listener, and then I'm going to ask you a question hinging off of this idea of sacrifice. So we went on this hunting trip the night before, because you got to get up early as the Dickens, uh, and why add an hour and a half to that? So the night before, Peter and I went and stayed at my mother's house, because she lives 10 minutes away from where we were hunting. And I have some land in Cleveland County, and that's what we where we where we focused our efforts and so we got up the next morning actually um, you don't have to get up early at my mom's house because her dog comes and licks you in the face at 5.30 on the dot and so Addie came and wake me up and we got ready and off we went and um, I dropped Peter off into a, in a tree stand with precious little direction well and I was faced towards a big field so my thought was okay Wait till the deer comes into the field. Yeah. Then shoot it. There, there's a reason I put him in that stand, okay? Um, I have a place where I, that I pretty much reserve for new hunters, and it's because it's fairly obvious what you can do, and it's very hard to make a fatal mistake because safety matters. Anyway, so I, I dropped him off, and he was hunting on in North Carolina. It is a... Heritage Apprentice License, apprentice license mm-hmm. which means you, you, you don't have to take hunter safety. I am for people taking hunter safety. As long as I'm sitting uh, I'm with getting the, there. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm for people taking hunter safety, but it's a, it's a time expense that a lot of people don't want to go through when they don't know that, okay, this is something I'm going to want to keep doing. And so um, an apprentice license means you don't have to take hunter safety, safety, but you have to be where a person that's had it and there's a licensed hunter can see you. And so I went 30 yards away where I could see him in part through the trees. I could see his orange hat and vest or whatever it was. And, um, and he sat for four freaking hours. Four hours, <laughs> yeah. From we got, I think we got in at 6.30 yeah. and then nothing happened. For and I fell asleep occasionally. So you don't know that nothing happened. Well, yeah. I mean, I kind of drifted in and out. But it was actually a really, it was a, you know, and I have this theory about uh, men in our society, how they're not trained or they're not, we don't raise men to like be okay with taking time. For themselves and that's why men just sit on the toilet for hours yeah and go hunting yeah uh well certainly not kinds, at the same time yeah not hopefully not at the same time um but uh duck hunting is different i understand it's it more, is. More, more social it's faster you talk the whole time it's exciting yeah uh, but deer hunting it's sitting alone in in and for me in in the woods facing a field for four hours so what did I do? I I fell asleep sometimes. I listened to the squirrels when they woke up. I watched the ravens chase the hawks. I just, I prayed. And I prayed, you know, about the hunt too, but not that I would get a deer. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have this bloodlust. I never do that. Really? Yeah. I, I, I often will get out there and thank God for giving me a place to come and, and reconnect. Hmm. and for nature and what it means to me I have never once in my life prayed God please send me something to shoot well that wasn't my prayer either but my prayer was if there is a deer let me have a, a, a clean shot and let its suffering be short okay you know? so and I'm looking at this field, right? And it's it's at least 200 feet across, probably more. It's it's about 300 yards, yeah. 300 yards, yeah. yeah. And I've gone target shooting uh, at this at the at the shooting range twice, and only ever attempted with the with the gun that I was using at 50 feet. Yards. 50 yards. Yeah. It's 50 yards. So, so I'm thinking. Even if a deer shows up in this field, I'll, I'm going to have to let it walk by because if it's anything further than what I've practiced, I don't want to take the shot. Which you shouldn't. That was a responsible decision. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty much convinced and I've made peace with the fact that I'm probably not going to get a deer. I'm only going one day. you know, this Half a day. Half a day. Yeah. And then i got to go home and, and get ready for you know the Thanksgiving holiday and everything. So... Uh, you know, for me, it was just an opportunity to be in the in the moment and to reflect on, yeah, on these things that we're talking about today. So about ten fifteen, I send Peter a message that says essentially, "Hey, I'm going to go try to make something happen." Turns out that was unnecessary, but I thought it was. Um, Court sitting thirty yards to my right, and he uh, and I'm facing diagonally on this field, and so he's going to walk. Uh, from where he is, sort of um, still on my right side, 
around the trees. You know? Yeah, basically, if I'm looking at, if I'm at home base, he's walking to first, yeah. basically. And there's a road out there, and there's a tree line there. And he, he was planning to scare up anything that might have been in those trees, which neither of us, I think, had any real hope that there was. I mean... It's worked before. It's, okay. a, it's about a, you know, two times out of 25 it would work. Yeah. Yeah. But he was gone for like 10 minutes, and it's just me in the field. Finally, I'm, I'm wide awake looking around. Pretty sure that, you know, my time's going to come soon where Cor will come back. I'll get down from my tree stand. We'll go, go home. home. <laughs> and then from, uh, <clears throat> from the, from the uh, left field dugout, basically... I can't believe I'm using a baseball metaphor. It's here. working perfectly, though. Uh, but that gives you the spatial. I mean, within I think it must have been less than forty yards. It was about fifteen to twenty. Yeah. Yeah. This deer just saunters out. Okay, let me stop you there. So when you first see the deer break the tree line, mm-hmm. what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Etc. Well, in Minnesota terms, terms, and I think maybe even under my breath, I said, "Oh." <laughs> I have no idea what that expression means. Ope means pretty much anything, but in this moment it meant, well, here he is. Who would have thought? Yeah. And so I just I was just like, wow. Well, there's the deer. And and I'm thinking this is in the range that I've actually practiced at. I said it's not a guarantee. I'm probably going to make some noise. He's probably going to run off. But I was like, well, what do I do? You know, let me just... And and still, not convinced that I should even take the shot. But I was like, let me move in that direction and just see what happens. Let, let me say something so that the, the audience does not think that I'm a monster. I have told Peter numerous times, shoot, don't shoot. It's up to you. No pressure from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want people to think not think that I was like, here's a gun. Get it. Yeah. Come back with a deer. Don't come home. Yeah, no, I wasn't. I mean, and like I said, I I eat a mostly vegan diet. Like, uh, but I do enjoy meat. And the reason which you didn't ask me when I first told you that, that I eat a mostly vegan diet is because I'm I'm deeply concerned with the way that meat is is raised and harvested in this country. Yeah. Um, There's there's rampant animal abuse in in the in the meat producing industry. And Upton Sinclair called it the jungle for a reason. Yeah. And not only to the animals, although those I care deeply about the animals, but to the workers who are who are tasked with that uh, with the with that day in day out uh, work of slaughtering and butchering animals in this country. It's tucked away from us. It's hidden from us. Um, certainly, there are uh, farms and and ranchers who are doing a good job, and um, and and actually caring for their animals, but. Um, most of the meat that we find in the grocery store, I'm convinced, uh, is coming from, from operations that are mostly concerned with convenience and mostly concerned with price and not concerned as much with, the, with care for, for creatures of God. And, and so when I'm in other countries, when, I'm living, when, I, when I've lived abroad and I've been living with people who are closer to the land who do care who I've seen care for their animals I'm willing to eat that meat and even you know I can buy meat at a farmer's market sometimes and feel good about it Uh, but uh, mostly you know I'm I'm in practice vegan because I just 
oftentimes either can't afford those better sources of meat or uh, choose not to to buy them so yeah. Uh, so being in deer stand, it's like I've eaten deer before. Of course, given me some jerky before. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, so I, I was. It was not that I was going to kill this deer for no reason. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely took it with uh, a grain of salt. And so the deer comes out. Oh, oh, and then continue the story. I was uh, very careful with this gun. I mean, I. Um, I'd shot it a few times, but I knew that I had the potential to mess up. So there was a round in the chamber, but I had left the gun uncocked because I didn't want to shoot myself or always wise, yeah, or you know shoot anything and and accidentally like scare all the deer away. So uh, so I raised my gun, and this deer could hear everything that I was doing, but I would like freeze when he heard me and then he would go back to what he, whatever sniffing he was doing in the field. When I cocked the gun, he looked right at me. How did that feel? I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I, I think I was just, I was very focused in on can I, can I balance this need to make noise with like trying to stay silent as much as possible uh, because I mean to spook the deer then I missed the shot but more importantly like um, I think it goes back to wanting to make sure that the suffering of the animal is limited mm-hmm. and um, you know people say oh if the deer is, is frightened or has to struggle then like the meat doesn't taste as good and that that may be a good reason, but to me, I just don't want the deer to struggle or, yeah, or to be that's frightened. Yeah, that's not really true of deer. It is true of uh, pronghorns, but not okay. deer. But, but I've heard that, too. Okay. But anyway, so I just didn't want to upset this deer. You know, Basically, I wanted him to have as little time of suffering as possible. Yeah. So, uh, took aim. He, after the after cocking the gun, he, he looked at me. Then he just went back. But I think he... He felt like there's something off here. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what it is. So he sort of turned to go back to the woods and just stopped and showed me his whole left flank and at 15 to 20 yards. And it was a shot that I was lined up. It was a shot I knew I could take and accurately uh, from practice. And, um, you know, there wasn't really a lot of... Uh, I, I, I hate to disappoint the listener, but in I had already prepped myself in terms of, like, the spiritual implications of taking this life so there wasn't so much of that sort of processing in the moment but there was more time to reflect on it after i lined up i knew i had the shot the deer was perfectly still so i took it Mm -hmm. i hit a little bit high um got him in the lung but he went down and i mean he stumbled around and went down in a matter of uh, of seconds and didn't get up again yeah. By the time that uh, I got down from the tree stand and got over there, he was he was gone. And that that's fairly typical. A lot of times they will run. That's what I was worried about with you using a three fifty seven. But they they even if they did do run, once the bullet passes through the lung, it's it's seconds mm-hmm. and then it's over. Um, which frankly is probably the most humane way other than hitting them with cars I guess um, which is a waste and I hate it but um, 
that a that a life can end mm. in the wilderness. Mm. Uh, and so I don't have ethical dilemmas with shooting deer. If you were just out wasting life, I would hate that. Mm. But I I and you know I, I use as much as I can of it, and I guess we'll get that to that in a moment. But um, because I've seen what happens as soon as they get too slow to outrun a coyote, you know, it, nature is violent. Yeah, so, and in Temple Grandin, uh, who there's a documentary or a lot um, historical drama, I guess, about her life, how that everyone should watch. Uh, but she says in that movie, and this is one of her famous quotes, that that nature is a cruel mother, uh, that nature is that nature nature is cruel when it comes to taking life, but mm-hmm. we don't have to be. Yeah, uh, we can be part of we we are part of nature, and maybe the part that we play in nature. Um, or one of the roles that we can play in nature is is trying to remove the cruelty from this process, and and I felt like that that was what we did. Now I want I don't want to say that this was like a uh, a totally uh, blameless act that we had we have found through deer hunting like the perfect way to harvest meat. Yeah. I mean, there's all of these reasons why um, we're still you know it's still uh, a sadness. There's still a sadness there, which I felt. Um, you know, we, we talk about overpopulation, and that's true, but it's only true because we've eliminated their predators. I mean, yeah. we've built houses and roads where there used to be just forest and, and pasture. So, And we give them the food store sources that enable them to overpopulate. If a deer is running around feeding on berries, it doesn't get as much food as it does from a soybean field. Soybean, the cornfields, yeah. So that there's, there, there's no... There's no perfect animal harvest and we live in a fallen world and yet I felt like and and when I got down and started I mean I was cold but I started shaking uncontrollably and it lasted for a long time I mean court was watching I like my teeth were chattering I did not laugh at him by the way go ahead (laughs) but I was like I was shaking we had to walk all the way back to the to the house and I was shaking the whole time back and forth yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. We went all the way to get the four-wheeler, came back, and you were still shaking. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, you know, like the adrenaline dump of just like having transitioned from a moment in which I had not taken an animal life to the moment after. Yeah. And uh, and I don't know. Yeah, it was definitely, it, I was surprised by my physiological response so you mentioned several times as we were talking sacrifice Mm. so you had just made a sacrifice in a manner of speaking yeah and it wasn't necessarily a religious act although i'm sure you can get some kind of spiritual something from it but you know what was it to which you sacrificed this animal Mm. Well, we got to remember that in Old Testament sacrifice, the animals that are sacrificed were eaten. Yeah. Too. I mean, there was some that was left for the Levites, but these animals were brought by families, mm-hmm. and that and this was the proper way to kill an animal uh, was to take it to the temple. Now there there were other there were other slaughters happening. I'm sure. Kill the fatty calf. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but there was something special about dedicating an animal to God. And we even read in Scripture that there are very specific conditions for what kind of animal can be brought for a sacrifice. You can't bring a sick animal. 
You can't bring a deformed, deformed animal, it, it, an animal that's supposed to be without blemish. And we don't think about that, uh, I, I, I don't think so much in terms of what it would take to raise an animal without a blemish. I mean, you have to keep an animal from ever running into a barbed wire fence yeah. in order to keep it from... And, and it has to come from blemish-free parents, which means it's going to cost you more. Mm-hmm. And so that you're not just sacrificing an animal, you're sacrificing probably money, time, to bring that animal up. Yeah. So it costs you something. It costs you something. It costs you convenience, time, money. And it's... And so there's so much attention then on making sure that this animal is proper for sacrifice to God. And uh, it's, it's located then in the temple in a place where all eyes are on that sacrificial act. And I'm lose. I lost your question, so I'm going on sacrifice. A you, you've you've made this sacrifice. Yeah, I don't know what I made the sacrifice to. I guess uh, when I what what allowed me to be okay with taking this animal's life was principles of the honorable harvest, which I learned about from um, <clears throat> from reading Braiding Sweetgrass, a book by uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer, who's a Native American ecologist and writer. And the, the principles of the honorable harvest are, are ones that I used for harvesting mushrooms as well. And the, the three rules are basically don't take the first one you find, never take more than half, and use everything that you take. When we were driving to... We saw five. We yeah. saw five deer uh, as we drove to get, you know, get out that morning. So it was definitely not the first one that we saw. Um, nor was it more than half of the population, and uh, and I've really made my attempt in the in the days following to try to use as much of this deer as I possibly can, uh, even trying to learn how to like uh, deer liver pate, which I was never fond fond of any kind of pate, but I'm trying to like it because I want to use the animal um, and honor it. So I think uh, what have I what did I sacrifice this animal to? Um, that's a hard question. I guess, uh, to me, it's, it's definitely not a sacrifice to convenience the way most animals in this country are sacrificed. True. Um, certainly is an inconvenience. But after the trigger is pulled, that's when the work begins. Yeah. yeah. But I think, you know, the reason to go through with it for me personally was to, to have that personal interaction with where my meat comes from um, and and to, to look at it full in the face. And I think that at its best, the sacrifice in the temple actually did that for the community. Yeah. Gave them the, the opportunity to look full in the face that we are taking this animal's life. Or at least it should. It that should. May be, that may be where the the judgment that the Levites need some purifying comes from. Mm-hmm. They weren't doing it right anymore. There was some corruption there. Mm-hmm. And I think that ties back into what you were talking about with the really all agriculture, not just meat, industry uh, and, you know, agribusiness and how there's some corruption there. It's no longer pure. And because we've, do, we've removed ourselves from where our food, not just meat, comes from, I mean... 
we don't see it. Mm-hmm. And it's out of sight, out I, of I've mind. I've heard that there is no such thing as harmless eating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people eat vegan and yet still in, employ ag- agribusiness to put food on their plates. Even in a vegan diet, something died to get that there. Right. Period. Yeah. And that's that's part of our fallen existence that it requires some life to end and for in order for our life to go on. And yet, just like Temple Brent, uh, Temple Grandin said, like we don't have to be cruel. Mm-hmm. Like nature is cruel, and we are part of nature. But w- maybe our part is removing as much cruelty as possible. Um, and and uh, I've seen this in. Uh, friends of mine who have whose parents have worked in meat processing facilities and the 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 injuries that the that they that they endure from doing the same repetitive motion mm-hmm. every day and it's not that these are callous people to begin with but when your job is to do the same cut the same piece it's of meat off the same yeah. an, animal carcass every day we don't we, we deprive them of the opportunity of respecting the animals and at the same time it injures their bodies and i think there's a spiritual injury there too that we all carry because like i said like wendell berry says we're vicariously participating in the way that our meat is produced uh, we endorse it by what we purchase um, so you were talking about the the way in which we get used to it it was a stark difference when i came to see after after the shot you know what he had gotten between his reaction to an animal lying there and mine because hmm. I've done this you know 50 60 times and I remember the first time I ever looked through the scope which Peter didn't use a scope he's he's better than me he's iron sighted but I remember the first time I ever put a deer in the crosshairs and I'll probably never forget it I don't remember much between that one and the last few. And I remember pulling the trigger and having this instant feeling on that first deer of both excitement and regret. Uh, I can't believe I've done this. Oh, I can't believe I've done that. Hmm. And, And that fades over time. And I also remember from that first deer getting down and looking at it and, and, having like an I thou moment where I just kind of encounter all of it all all of thou just taking in its fullness the the body that's lying before me now I'm when it's in the scope I'm already dividing it into back straps and uh, tenderloins and steaks mm. and that just happens to us mm-hmm. and it's a shame Mm. So even when we're participating in our food process, the process of getting food to the table, we kind of lose our humanity a little bit, and the soul goes away from it, and it comes with repetition. I have a feeling that that happens in worship as well. Mm. And as ritual becomes repetitive... Rote. Rote is a good word for it. We... We, it loses its soul. And I, I feel like maybe that has something to do with this judgment that Malachi gives to the Levites. Mm. Because 
religion has lost its soul. There's something corrupt in the Levites. The people no longer see it. It has to be called out from God because the people don't even see it anymore. Well, and now this this brings me to, I think, what, what I want to be my last point, which is that we can we can expose ourselves again to those questions about right and wrong and what is the proper way to do this, whether it is worship or sacrifice, uh, when we invite new people in, yeah. which is what you did. And, that, and it takes a, a certain amount of vulnerability to invite someone into a practice that you have already done the work through to justify for yourself, but to invite me into it, mm-hmm. a vegan, <laughs> who has very strong opinions about like care for animals, you, you've invited someone who might bring up questions that you haven't faced in a while mm-hmm. or that you have faced and, and left, left, left by and, and moved on from. And in the same way, I think there's this, this is the, now I'm not saying that everyone needs to be a hunter, but in a, if, we, if we use it as an analogy for worship and, and, and sacrifice, as we see in the, in the Old Testament scriptures, when we invite new people into our practice of faith, we should expect that they're going to come with questions. Mm-hmm. And those questions should not be discounted, but it should give us an opportunity to revisit is this the proper way to worship? We should hope that it challenges us, yes. Yeah. Any last thoughts about the hunt? I, I have a question about okay. the hunt. Okay. And I'm fine with whatever answer you give, so don't feel like I'm pushing you one way or the other. Okay. Would you do it again? Not would you do it over, but like like next year, maybe even again this year, would, would you do it again? I think I might. I think I would also like to perhaps hunt some sort of a... a Pheasant or or poultry of some kind. Pheasant, we have, we have grouse on, on grouse, here, yeah. turkey. So any kind of bird, just because uh, my partner is allergic to red meat. Oh, <laughs> so I well, can't I share this you, but, with her. But <laughs> any of the birds you kill in nature, yeah, are red meat. Yeah, well, they're dark meat. Well, they don't grow hair though. She's okay. allergic to mammals. So. Okay. Yeah, so as long as they're hairless <laughs> birds. <laughs> All right. Well, that's and interesting. I, yeah. Wrong uh, guy for turkeys. I'm a sucky turkey hunter. I definitely won't. I don't. I won't hunt another deer until I eat the meat that I've saved. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that's enough for me, and I want to leave it at that. But uh, I'd be interested in, in in hunting something that that my partner could eat. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious if like the experience of like okay that's a one and done, which would be fine too. No, I'd be willing to do it again. Because it it's a lot. It's it's a lot. And I'm still working to process this deer. Uh, it's, it's he, he doesn't mean his feelings on the deer. He both. means the actual meat. Probably both. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But the meat definitely is still on ice, and I'm working through it. So. All right. Well, um, anything else spiritual before we go? Uh, I just invite everyone to take time in this month of Advent to process and that was my message on Sunday, and I tied in, you know, the time that it takes to, to process a deer. But in, 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 our, in our lives and in our, in our time, the Christian calendar provides us a month where we're, where we're given, where, where we're invited to take time to process and to prepare. And maybe instead of cost-cutting measures, which often lead to abuse and neglect, we should attempt to adopt some convenience cutting measures Mm -hmm. what can we do the slow way 
in order to take time to process. And so I invite you in whatever it is that you, you are normally doing by memory, by rote, uh, to take time to think it through and maybe invite someone else into it. So what we're asking our listeners to do, rediscover Advent. Yeah. Rediscover the excitement of the coming Savior. And I think that's a good way to end. All right. For Pastor Potluck, I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. Peace.